Hi guys, hope you're well. I've got a really kind of superb guest today. I will introduce the chap in a second. Um, but as a, I guess, a long time basketball player myself, I've played all kind of around the UK and various different teams, various different cities. And throughout this whole kind of period, there's been one team in particular who's often been the kind of dominating force in British basketball. And actually when I was lucky enough to move up to Newcastle, which is probably about eight to 10 years ago now, um, I started to play for a local club. And it turns out there is a whole um, community foundation of hundreds, well not hundreds of teams, but a hell of a lot of teams. And there's a whole network of really kind of uh, well, sporting kind of heritage in the Northeast of England, especially around basketball. And right at the very top of it for almost everything is the Newcastle Eagles. Um, and then throughout that kind of process, and also since I've kind of started working for myself, I've got to know the guys a bit more. Um, and what I'm gonna do is introduce Paul and we'll have a bit of a chat. And what I'm keen to do is just share what I think is a genuinely great business, but it's a great sports team, it's a great night out, but also the kind of Eagles as a whole do a hell of a lot of really good stuff in the community as well, which I really wanna try and dig into a little bit. Uh, and then likewise with the kind of growth strategy roadmap and kind of podcast, I like to also learn a bit more about the people behind the business as well and kind of talk it through. So Paul, I'm just gonna bring you in. There we go. Uh, would you like to say hello to everyone? Yeah, hi everyone. Pleased to be here today uh, to have a chat. Fair enough. Cool. Um, so we know each other through basketball-related stuff. We almost played against each other at the uh, Kobe Cup, which was back in February. Uh, yeah. But ironically, that the our, our two teams were in opposite sides of the draws, so we never ended up playing. Although uh, Paul's team was much better than mine. We had myself and four people that had never played basketball before. But we still got through to the semis, so we we did all right. But it was a really kind of good initiative, and it was, I know, sorry, we'll jump into it now. The When I still remember initially, I was in the kitchen the day Kobe Bryant died. And for me, some people watching this will think this is stupid, but for me it was quite a big deal. That It was almost on par with when Princess Diana died. I remember when I was there as well. And it was when um basically my wife came through and said kobe bryant's died and i was like what and she said about the helicopter crash and i remember that day constantly just checking twitter because i didn't believe it and it was you know for me personally because i'm that age group where he was my michael jordan um but actually since he uh kind of left basketball the way he went on to business and the creative arts and doing all these things and actually he was a very good family man as well by all kind of accounts when it, it just Im impacted me on many different levels. Um, and just before we go into some of the other kind of stuff, how, you know, how did you experience the whole Kobe Bryant thing and what does it mean to you, what do you think? Yeah, it's just a huge, huge shock as it was for the um, the whole basketball community regardless, but obviously it extended out from that because of his global reach. Um, and uh, yeah, just the... Um, a real tragedy, but um, you, you say uh, you say Kobe was your generation. My my generation was Michael Jordan. So. Well, I must admit, with um, sorry, I'm just checking the live stream to actually mute it. Yes, it is working, so we're good. Um, have you watched The Last Dance at all on Netflix? Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. I'm now six episodes in, um, right. and actually, just as some storytelling, I think it's a fabulous kind of piece of kit. And actually, I always did have him as number one in terms of who I think is the best basketball player of all time. But I just, something about Kobe resonated with me. I think because we're probably the same age as we were kind of going through, but it was just, anyway, we'll, we'll scrap that for now. But it was just because it came up, but it was, yes, we've never actually played against each other, but regardless. Um, sometimes, so, soon. sometimes, sometimes. Um, so would you like to kind of tell people about yourself and almost where you're from and how you kind of got started? Yeah, sure. So um, where I'm from, I'm, I'm originally from Bristol. Uh, I moved up to the northeast way, way back in 1989, and that's 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 the Jordan link. <laughs> that's how old I am. Uh, moved up to Newcastle in '89 to study at uh, what was Newcastle Poly at the time, now now Northumbria University. Uh, studied sports studies, and then went back and did a, a master's degree in marketing. A year or so after graduating from, uh, from sports studies. Um, I then, uh, brief, brief history, I was a lecturer following that for two years okay. uh, on, okay. on the sport management um, side of the uh, sports studies 
um, set up at, uh, at Northumbria. I helped to um, put together the master's degree in sport management um, in, its, uh, in its very early days and taught on that. Uh, and, you know, I was, this is all while I was sort of 22, 23 years of age. So um, if I could take the experiences I've had since back into that environment, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd probably have a few more case studies to tell than I did at the time. Uh, so, so yeah, I did that, did that for a couple of years, um, moved into a small business, uh, uh, which is quite interesting in its own right, a sports video analysis business, um, predating the digital era. So this was all, all two video tapes and a, and a piece of computer software that had come from Australia. A friend of mine had launched the business, but it engaged us with, um, sports teams around the country, everyone from Graham Taylor while he was at Watford to David Lloyd in the England cricket team, Middlesbrough Football Club, Brian Robson and Viv, Viv Anderson. So it was a it was a really interesting time for me because I was having to pitch a product to my you know, my ultimate peers, people that I'd um growing up watching and admiring as a as a youngster in their in their own sporting circles. Um Never forget um, the, the the top day in that in that job was driving down the M1, um, actually to go and do a presentation to Graham Soonis at Southampton, and Steve Coppel ringing <laughs> ringing me on the on the uh, on the phone in the in the in the car um, out of the blue, wanting to have an introduction of the product, and you know for me that was that was everything because I am a, uh, unfortunately for my sins, I'm a, a closet Man United fan. So, um, so Steve Coppel was one of my idols as a kid growing up playing football, you know. Um, so anyway, that was a, without going into too much detail, as I say, we, that, that took me out into more of a, uh, from what I was used to more of an entrepreneurial world that, that, um, uh, sort of sparked my interest in, the fact that this part of mine had set this small business up and made it work and how did he do that? Um, you know, is this something that uh, I'd like to do? It probably engaged me in, in understanding that um, I have an interest in a love for small business, being entrepreneurial and not um, I want, I'm wanting to find my own path, if that if that's the right, right word. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, as luck may have it, I, I was then headhunted to the sporting club, Newcastle United Sporting Club. And uh, it was it was a job I, I couldn't turn down. It was marketing manager for the uh, Falcons, Eagles and, and the Cobras Ice Hockey. But sadly, um, part of company with uh, Ian, my, um, my boss and friend of the previous company, started with the sporting club. Um, under the auspices of Newcastle United, the sporting club, lasted for about three years. Um, didn't didn't work for, for a variety of reasons, but it, it gave me an opportunity at the back end to look at taking on one of the clubs um, via a buyout. And that's ultimately what I did with um, my then boss, uh, Chapel Ken Nottage, and, and the two of us are shareholders in, in what is now Newcastle Eagles basketball. That was 1999. We fast forward 21 years uh, in the same organisation. So, did you play basketball yourself? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, part of the reason for um, moving up to Newcastle and studying at, at, at the Poly was it had a strong basketball program. Still does. Uh, Northeast um, historically, basketball has, has, has been very very strong, uh, particularly at performance level. There's, there's always been a, a history of, of National League clubs, whether it be in Newcastle or Sunderland, um, even Gateshead, uh, so, uh, which, which wasn't the case in Bristol at the time. I mean, it's changed now, but uh, those opportunities weren't there. So I kind of came up to study and play basketball. So how... So you you're part of Newcastle United. Who I guess did you say that they had uh, almost ownership of various teams, and then at a certain point that was kind of split off, and you saw the opportunity to kind of take it and run with it. 
Yeah, essentially. So Sir John Hall, um, it was Sir John's vision to have a sporting club and attach, you know, a group of clubs to what already existed. Uh, the, the the football ground was going through a development at the time, you know, its final sort of uh, build phase. Um, there was talk for a while of uh, getting planning permission to build an arena on the back of St. James's Park at the Lees' end. Uh, didn't come to fruition. And it, while that was happening, the Newcastle Arena project was was off and running as well. So, so Sir John's vision was, um, you know, obviously rugby team up at Kingston Park and uh, the old what was Gossip Rugby Club, and um, to place an ice hockey and a basketball team in what what was then the new new Newcastle Arena. Uh, it's, it's interesting uh, because. The, because I'm not from the region, this is all new to me, but it kind right. of all makes sense because people always joke about how small the northeast is, and it's almost it. I get it if that makes sense. So yeah. you um you find the opportunity to almost be part of a would you argue it's a startup business? It's, you know, certainly like an early stage business. You then get the chance. Poss- possibly a step worse than a startup business. It was a failed business. Uh, okay. Okay, that's, um, that's, that's interesting. Before we go into it, just because again, this is like a business-related show, it goes out on LinkedIn and stuff. Yeah. Why did the former organisation business fail? Uh, well, the three the three clubs all all made losses. Um, so John had uh, you know invested in in, in covering those losses, um, and and to be honest, I mean you know obviously they they. Are only in or were only in the city because of Sir John's vision, um, and two of the three have continued to uh, to exist because of the way that Sir John chose to exit. He didn't want the clubs to fold. He cleared the debts. Okay. Because um, so... that was going to be my question. Was almost the so to take an entity, but then with vision to think actually I can do something with this. I can make it work. So that sets us up quite nicely. So how would you then describe the next kind of 10 to arguably 20 years to go from that point where you almost had own, or you quite literally had ownership on uh, a team um, to then take it to where it is now? Uh, So, so I could probably talk for two days about that, but if you've got seven (laughs) or so minutes on it, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. So let's, let's try and, um, Put it into context. So when I say it was a failed business, it was failed in the sense that it failed in the sense that it lost the three years it operated. It lost money each year, and and Sir John uh, ultimately invested in in covering those losses. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, they weren't breaking even. So uh, if if the, the, the Sir John's decision had to be. Do I am I in this for the long haul, and and, and equally uh, the 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 other directors who were Freddie Shepherd and, and Douglas Hall, do we stay in this for the long haul, um, and ride this through till it till it gets to break even, or or have we done our three years and you know recognise that this is um, not something that's for us at, at this stage, and and they just took that decision, and I you know I don't. Um, take no issue with that at all because it was their money ultimately it it also opened up the opportunity for you as well you know it's almost sometimes the the kind of pivots and changes and different things open up new doors and especially with COVID-19 at the moment I think that will impact or has impacted everyone but actually it could also open up the doors to different things that I guess for you 20 years ago kind of led you on the path you're on yeah, no, and that's essentially what it did. It opened up an opportunity, uh, which was presented to my my boss, not myself directly, uh, as as part of a, a, a sort of a transition opportunity to make sure that the clubs continued. So, so John laid the path by saying, "Look, whoever's taking this on, I don't want any money for the clubs. You take them for a pound, a notional pound." Uh, just to, uh, take them with the losses cleared, but just accept the fact that these have been trading negatively. So, um, and that's a slightly different prospect to a startup. The, the positive is it started, 
but it hasn't started very well. Um, you could argue that it's done its hard yards and now now we're taking it and it's been a, given an opportunity to start again. So the trajectory could have could have been um, more positive than even it was the three years before when it started. So the reality was uh, a lot of the income streams tied to the basketball particularly were linked to um, relationships with the football club. They, they fell away immediately um, and uh, we were left with the opportunity to run a club and two years of a four year, the final two years of a four year agreement with the arena, which I just had to take on, you know, it wasn't going, they weren't going to relinquish that. Um, so, so we had a, we had a very tough first two years trying to work, uh, trying to keep the business alive whilst seeing that contract through to then be able to sit with the arena and renegotiate, which they were very, very happy to do in, in their defense. And we happened to stay there as a result for another 10 years wow. um, off the back of uh, that two year contract. So, so that, that's 1999, uh, we're in, we're in, we're off and running. So the first, first two, three years were survival mode, trying to understand the business properly, overcoming some of my naivety because I'm a young lad with a marketing background. I've never run a business. How old were you at the time? 28. Cool. The reason I ask that because we'll have 28 year olds watching this now. We're yeah. actually, it, this is what I like to do. It's asking the questions that I know people will be interested in because likewise, generally people I interact with have entrepreneurial uh, tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll be gagging to know, you know, so out of interest, so you knew the, the business itself, you knew it was loss making, but you could see the potential. How much of it was, did you separate off the business side of it from the sports team performance side, or did you see them as like constantly linked? Quite a good question. Um, this is this is a very very simple way of putting this together ultimately you can find ways to put a team together and the uh, staffing around the team to make sure that you um on the court or on the pitch uh do the right things that help all the wheels for the rest of the business but when it comes down to it that really is ultimately about raising money yeah yeah to buy to to put those those pieces in place. So once you've put those pieces in place, for me, I I then really step away and allow the coaching staff and the players to do to do what they need to do, and I'll come in from time to time. But it's not a that that that's the I don't see that as a business in itself, if that makes sense. You know, so so I then have to go away and and with my team make the sales, administrate the way that needs to be administrated to make sure the events um, go off, manage myself and my team properly, um, just do all, do all of the normal nuts and bolts stuff that you would do, you would be doing in a business. Financial management being an absolute key to that. Uh, never make a marketing manager your um, GM. Because <laughs> I like to spend money. Um, they like to speculate to accumulate. I like to speculate to accumulate. I soon realised that I wasn't. I wasn't going to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, there's a there's a step of reality in uh, in terms of um, what I needed to do with no investor. Because that's what I was going to jump in was that on we spoke before about the Last Dance, the whole Michael Jordan Netflix documentary, yeah. and yeah. there's always a discussion between the team. And general yeah. management, and likewise in the NBA at the moment, sorry to go off track for anyone that's not into yeah. basketball, when, for instance, Kyrie Irving was traded from the Celtics to, where did he go? I can't remember. I've gone blank. My point being, often the, the back management is often seen as the bad guys who either yeah. make or break up teams, because that's the whole point of what The Last Dance is all about. Um, yeah. But actually, as being someone in that position, I guess you have to make the, the wider decision on the business as a whole, we need to make it last 10, 15 years. 
So if you've got an aging asset or assets that might not be able to perform on the court, at some point you need to make some moves because you've got the wider picture to think about. As well as a basketball coach myself, you always try and get the best team you've got to win games. But I guess there almost is a balance there between you have to make a profitable entity, but inherently more better players will be more expensive. So it's a difficult one to, to manage. Yeah. And um, so so trying to trying to mix all of those conditions, knowing that um, your our ability to sell our core products, which are essentially tickets and um, sponsorship, um, which is an interesting word in itself. I mean, you know, sponsorship ultimately is a mix of advertising and hospitality, really. Um, so, so trying to sell those products when your product on the court yeah. uh, is not winning, um, does it have as big an effect in, in our sport as it does in football? No. The answer is no. We, we, you know, it's a night of entertainment and for, a, for a, a, a good part of our match night audience, they'll be coming to a game once or twice a year maybe. Uh, they're coming for a night out and um, as winning or losing is not the be-all and end-all. Yeah. But yeah. for the core of the audience that have been coming for years and years, it's super important. It's, you know, it's, and, and what comes with that in the Northeast as well is it's not just about winning, it's about putting the effort in, being entertaining, uh, not looking like you're just turning up to pick up a wage etc etc they've got to have some passion behind them you know yeah so as long as as long as we're ticking those boxes um we're okay but it's you know sport is is very very unpredictable that's why that's why you can bet on it um and uh you never know what's what's gonna happen week to week month to month trying to control that tempo is ultimately um dictated by how much money you can raise to put into the team in the first place to make sure you're competitive but it still doesn't guarantee winning yeah um you know football's always i always use football as an analogy because it's what people in in the uk understand on on any given night um bristol rovers could be man united you know um, it doesn't happen very often, but the the, the, bud, the team budgets certainly do not correlate. No, it's uh, and, and the same applies with us. So. Oh, cool. So as a seamless kind of segue then, so the how would you describe how the team evolved? And we'll almost link this to uh, like a, a good leadership kind of question. So when almost did Fab get involved and almost the journey through starting to win? Does that make sense? And then you're keeping it up? Do you want to kind yeah. of talk us through that journey? Yeah. So, uh, so I took the club over in '99. We won our first trophy in 2005, okay. um, and Fab joined the club in 2001 and became coach in 2002. So, so we had we had three seasons, pretty much where. Um, Fab, Fab was finding his way uh, in, in, in a discipline that was completely new for him because he was a player coach, a player that became a player coach. Um, and we were uh, coming out of a bad patch, the early, the early phase of trying to get the club to um, break even, essentially. Uh, it, it, it certainly lost a bit of money in the first two years. Um, and I've, uh, I've managed to, um, over the years, retrace that back. So, uh, so ultimately, over the span of the 20 years, we're in a, we're in a, 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 at least a break-even stroke, small profit-making scenario. Um, so, so I suppose we were, the two of us were both going up the, the learning curve in the early 2000s. Got to a point in that first season where we won. 2004-05 where where I I was able to put a reasonable team budget together and Fab was able to um, put the best team out that he felt he needed to put out 
for that money uh, without overreaching ourselves because in our sport that happens a lot. You know, a team will really go one year to try and win everything. Uh, will over will overshoot and and teams have folded in the past doing that. You know, the businesses have just disappeared. Uh, so so yeah, we just we got that first team right, and I think we just did a job from there on of of tweaking the um, keeping a core of players and just almost tweaking around the edges of that group, and obviously the group over what is now what. 15, 16 years has changed and changed and changed and changed. And now we've changed with Fab as well because Fab, Fab left in September. Yeah. Um, but but somehow in the midst of all of that, we've won 25 trophies, which is, you know, I look back on now and we've had a lot of time here in this period to to uh, reflect. And I, I just, you know, um, I suppose I'm in quite quite a unique position, as is Fab and as is some of the players that have been at the club through that position. In that, I, I don't know too many people in team sports that have won that much, mm. um, and it's hard to it's hard to try and um, explain what what keeps you motivated to keep winning at, um, at all costs like that. But uh, but you know, I have to say. Um, in, in large measures, that that comes back to Fab and his um, just never-ending drive. Because uh, linked to that, the so just for a lot of people won't know his backstory, and you'll know it a hell of a lot better than I do. Do you want to just give people like a flavour of where he's from, how he grew up, and almost you know because it adds it's it's a big part of the story. And then in a second, I'll ask you about how almost. Because he's a, he's a, like almost a natural born leader. I know he talks in schools, but actually, it's almost the impact that can have on a business. But just for people that don't know who he is, would you want to give him like a thirty second? Yeah, kind of yeah. So Fab, Fab, Fab uh, by name is Fabulous Flournoy. That's his. That's his name. That's his true name, Fabulous. And he grew up in the Bronx, uh, um, which in itself, with with a you know. A male with a name like Fabulous would no doubt make it difficult. Um, so his uh, his whole history growing up in in New York um, became about um, getting engaged with the sport of basketball quite late on for him, about 14, 15 years of age, because he found out that he could um, uh, uh, get a pair of shoes from the coach of the club. Uh, a pair of basketball shoes if he if he turned up and played. Um, from there he went to uh, got himself out of New York by a basketball into the college system, junior college, and then McNeese uh, State University in in uh, in Texas. Um, got his degrees uh, and then moved into professional basketball. Moved to Birmingham, UK in '94, I think. And then and then played until he was forty six. Yeah, literally. Uh, we we you know until last September he's broken pretty much all records in in the league in the, in, in this country. Got an MBE along the way, uh, a Commonwealth Games bronze medal with England mm-hmm. because by this time he received his passport and was playing for England. Uh, and um, was. Uh, to cap it all in September last year, offered an assistant coach role at the Toronto Raptors in the NBA, the team that had just won the uh, the NBA championship uh, um, in the July before. It is a, an incredible kind of story, but almost based on that, because I don't know the guy. Like I've, I've trained against just when you needed spare players, like I played against Darius and different things, yeah. and that's interesting. But actually, I don't know Fab. But what, as a person, what was he like? And what were his like kind of character traits? Uh, he had many and varied, actually. Okay. Uh, very, it could be very, very lighthearted, very, very free-spirited, but at the same time, uh, when a job needed to be done, very, very focused. Players would tell you of um, three and four hour video sessions um, where he would labour a point, um, you know, to the nth degree, just just to 
really get across how important a specific area of the game was. You know, he knew they got it third time, but he, he would tell them 50 or 60 times. To... But, but I think, you know, that's almost some of the, the links between business and sports. It's the behaviors, it's the things that you do that actually make a big difference. And it was almost just, you know, I always like to like learn from people when I can. And I'll ask you later about kind of good advice, but it was just, you know, his story is quite incredible, but it's also interlinked massively with the Eagles kind of story. Uh, so that's why I kind of wanted to to ask. So as of, um, I guess now, if we could put it this way, so the Eagles have become arguably the Northeast most successful ever sports team. Won all these trophies, um, you know, a few thousand people at every game. You now have your own kind of community arena. Do you want to tell people about the arena? Because then in a second, I'll explain why I think it's so good. But almost, you know, the journey to actually having your own venue, and it's a good venue as well. Um, I'm sure that was a big, you know, a leap, a big thing to achieve for the club. Yeah. So um, so as we're taking this, this, this journey of, trying to um, make sure that the club survives to then getting into a, a number of years there where it was in more of a sustainable position. We're starting to win. Uh, we recognize that at some point here, this is still a, a broken business model because it, it doesn't work if there isn't a venue to hire, number one, or, or, or um, control in your own right. Uh, there are elements of our income, our potential income streams that we're missing, including on a match night, we don't get any of the secondary spend because that would go to the landlord of the building that we were hiring. So, so ultimately to complete the project um, and, and to leave the club in safe hands almost because, you know, just the captain of the ship for now and there'll be another one comes along after me as as there was before me. Um, uh, we 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 as a as a business and a team um, realised that we needed to to build our own if we possibly could, or at least try to build our own. Try and work out what it would take. How do we get this thing over the line? So uh, so we started. Um, Sam and I started that that journey probably as early as 2008, nine. Wow. Um, it did, it did actually happen at the same time as we were making the move from the arena to Northumbria university. Um, we didn't know if it was going to go anywhere or where it was going to go, but it, but it started, it started nearly 10 years out. Because how, what's the capacity on seating? Uh, just so, just short of 3000 seats. Wow. And I must have been there many times on game night and it is incredible, but also it's the fact that it's your venue. And then I guess from your point, from almost a business kind of management point of view, I, I, I imagine owning and running a business that owns an actual venue. It brings a lot more complexity to the actual the model. Does that make sense? So you have to learn how to uh, deal with crowds and deal with COVID-19 and deal with food and with suppliers and stuff. And how did you almost find that transition? Um, very difficult. <laughs> so and we, we're still working on it, I would say. So, uh, so part part and parcel of that evolution, just to explain the the, the way the businesses are set up, because it's more than one business now. Uh, so you have the club as the original business that took over in '99. Uh, we set up a charity in 2007, and all of the community work that was. Uh, previously taking place within the club was moved into the charity and the staff that were involved in charity in, in uh, the community work. Uh, and this third phase, as we see it, the arena sits in the charity, not the club. So, so, so it's part of the foundation. Uh, lots of different reasons behind that. So. So basically, we've gone from one business to essentially two, what um, what now feels like three, all have their discrete disciplines, mm -hmm. and all all need individuals that we that, that we've recruited in to um, take care of those different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So 
Because like any business, uh, you know, I I can and don't need to know everything. And and Sam equally as as chief executive of the foundation uh, doesn't need to know everything. We're both very good micromanagers. That said, and we're learning not to be. Uh, it's difficult, but mm. but for any business to grow, as you as you know yourself, you you, you have to delegate. Because one of the things that almost I remember talking to Sam that almost got me excited, just because for me business is like a big puzzle, and it's how the. Um, for some reason I'm quite good at spotting the opportunity with stuff and it was when you know if suddenly you're looking at revenue streams from a business and it just happens to relate to a venue and you've got car parks but you've got hospitality hire you've got corporate events you've got weddings you've got comedy gigs you've got music gigs you've got boxing and actually one of my former guests is a, guy, a boxer from Middlesbrough called Joe Mafosa and he fought at Newcastle Arena um, sorry, uh, Eagles Community Arena. Yeah, yeah, but my yeah, point yeah. is, but it's it's almost, I, I think it's incredible. Just in terms of the potential that you have is, you know, it might take a while to get up to speed, but it's just, you know, I I get excited just thinking about it because I love just thinking about what you could do with it and the potential. But then also because you touched on the Community Foundation, it's the fact that most people won't know that you work with some like 90 schools. Or well, um, more, double wow okay 200 yeah i've been yeah. underselling it okay <laughs> so you work yeah. at say 200 schools but one of the big things which got me was that because i play and coach basketball as well as you know but turn to everyone else was that some of my players coach some of your junior teams because there's a really nice hierarchy to kind of teach yeah. leadership as goes through and i remember calling in i think it was on a saturday when you have the juniors yeah uh, i forgot whether it's got a, C- a cbl is it the Central Venue League, yeah. 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 And one of the things that got me, but it's also part of the reason why I love basketball so much, is that, so I'm part of a team called the Griffins, which is arguably part of the Eagles, but anyway. And, you know, we've got a good club, but one of our junior teams, I don't know if they're under 10s or whatever age group it was, were playing against other youngsters from the region. But one yeah. of them in particular, he didn't even have shorts. He was playing in tracksuit bottoms and uh, like a, a jumper or something. And But what I love about basketball, but it's also what I love about the Community Foundation, for one, it's very inclusive, but there's no barrier to entry. Almost anyone can play, yeah. if that makes sense. But then the fact that in different communities, basketball is a great way to engage with people, be part of a team, learn something that might not be as financially you know, uh, well off as others but almost yeah. we don't discriminate. And I think the Eagles kind of community foundation does a lot, have a lot of stuff with good community uh, people and teams and interests that I, you know, I don't know if you get enough credit for that. Um, but it's just, you know, I think you do a hell of a lot in, in the kind of region. And then likewise, you know, I think one of the chats we've had in the past is that I would like businesses to know more and understand more about all the good stuff that you actually do. Because if you're based in Blythe, for instance, pick anywhere, you know, there'll be five or 10 schools in that local area that you're helping poor people in their local area that I think there's a really good link with business that I think, you know, we could hopefully play off and, you know, do more with to really help both the the team and the foundation and that kind of thing. Um, So on kind of that kind of topic, do you, as a business yourself, do you find it difficult to engage with other local businesses or how do you normally kind of go about it? Um, We... Uh, we do as much as we can with with what is effectively too small a staff base. Um, so we we need we certainly need to be engaging more with local business and making and, and and getting them to understand what what it is that we're about. Uh, I think we were just on the threshold of that yeah. pre-COVID uh, in in terms of settling the business down. Uh, in terms of the new part being the arena and all of the different events that, um, you know, rather luckily we've, we've had a, an, an unbelievable run since we opened in terms of all of the different types of events that we've, um, we've held at the venue since it opened, you know, that prior, prior to opening, we didn't have a long list of events ready to go. We, we were, we were apart from equal tone games and mm-hmm. the, the sports delivery that we knew we were going to be delivering. So, so we've been juggling, juggling balls. Um, we, as you said, to be able to um, better communicate with the community, what that second part of the business 
does, which is the foundation's community outreach work, which we've been doing for 20 years now. The club you play for, we set up in, uh, I'm going to say 2000, mm -hmm. when Benfield Centre for Sport was built. Uh, the gym on the front and the two courts at the back. That was our first club. It was the first club we set up. Um, uh, you fast forward to, to today and there's over 30 sites that we mm -hmm. operate clubs and sessions out of across Tynemuir and, and, and South East Northumberland. Uh, why do we do that? We, we had to help to try and build an infrastructure for junior basketball because you go back to when I took the club over, it really didn't exist in, 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 the, uh, in the northeast. There were one or two individuals doing lots of great work. One of them moved away. Um, so there was a just just the same infrastructure that you have in rugby and football and cricket. You don't you didn't see in basketball. So and actually nationally you don't see it. So um, so we felt for the club to survive long term uh, and to build a, a real playing market for the sport of any size, we we needed to engage. So my first employee wasn't a marketing manager or a um, business development manager. It was a it was a basketball development officer. Mm. That was where my th the first investment of money. Is that great? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, we needed to build a market that was particular to our our product. So uh, I, sorry, I joke. Graham's my old coach. I played with Graham. It was just a, a separate anyway. <laughs> Yeah. But, but no, so, but I, yeah. I just, it, it's the kind of thing that with, like I've offered in the past and especially now, obviously we'll get busy doing stuff, but I think, you know, I'll definitely help with anyway. I kind of just, it's how, like when you, I, I do, we're both marketers in many ways, and I'm by training an engineer, but you know, I'm passionate about the sub subject. And when you're trying to sell or promote any business, you always want an element of brand building, culture, vision, values, what you're about, what's at your core. And you have that with the foundation. And then you match that with um, commercial things like ticket sales. And again, but the, the business model I think you have, if you want to call it that, I think is very, very, very good. You know, it's, it take, as you know, it takes years to kind of build. And then um, pre-COVID, but still now, I, I especially with the arena, I can see really good things happening over the next kind of two, three, five years. Just, you know, imagine the difference when you get you know, say maybe a big name sponsor, you get all the car park revenue, you get concerts there, you get weddings there, you get and just constant cash generation. Because again, as you said before, what that can do to then benefit the the team and the players you can recruit and how you can operate and the merchandise and the, you know, I if I was you, I'd be really excited, which I'm sure yeah. you are. But actually just yeah, from um, a business opportunity point of view. I've, and um, actually the model is, um, you, you say, how, how the building can help the team. The way we actually look at it is the building, because it's in the foundation, the building is helping the foundation to grow the sport. Yep. Growing the sport will help the team. Yeah. So, so what comes first is growing the sport and engaging more young people to play the sport from all backgrounds. Um, you know, we, we've actually prioritized the whole 20 years working in Deprived communities and state schools. We, that's that's what our sport does, you know. From um, the chap from the YMCA that invented the sport in the first place to, to today, it's, it remains the same. That's the culture of the sport in the states and across Europe. That's that's where we are, you know. Um, and particularly pertinent um, uh, talking talking now about it. So, for that. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely exciting. And the interesting thing is, even though we're in this period where we're in lockdown and we, the building's closed, um, we're, we're talking up lots of new new events uh, that, that we're um, uh, booking in for the venue for next year. Um, lots of new things as well, things that we haven't done already and some, some really high-profile um, events that show that we've we've moved on a stage again so yeah plenty to look forward to awesome awesome so in every interview i ask people two questions um and it's the same for everyone and it has its own separate section on my website and i clip all this up so i basically pick the best bits and i put it on youtube and share it on linkedin and stuff um so for yourself 
Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever had? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh dear, that's a good question. Oh, you want me to answer that straight away? Yes. <laughs> piece of advice I've ever had. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not sure anyone specifically told me this. Uh, it, it probably goes back to my mum, uh, to be honest. But but um, I've always I've always had the outlet that says don't don't uh, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And it doesn't matter what it is. Um, don't don't. Um, if there's an obstacle there, just remove the obstacle. Find solutions, don't find problems. So, but but ultimately, don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. No, I think that's good, and it's true on so many levels. I've had it's part of the reason why I, I, I used to think it was a working class thing, and it was a chip on my shoulder, but maybe not. It was when you had uh, teachers that tell you you're not good enough, and I just it's just like this fuel that burns you. Uh, and, and then likewise you know, for entrepreneurs for business you know there'll be many times over the years when you know things might have looked bleak and you're like do we call it quits and you just it's that incessant uh like incessant drive to kind of keep going so no i think that's yeah. good and it's also very inspirational again using the fab analogy you know anyone from anywhere can go on and do incredible things so uh, yeah. i i think that's class um and then related to this if you were to give advice to your younger self, and it can be any age, any part of your career, you said before about the guy that just started in business, what would it be? Um, do a few courses on financial management. <laughs> That's a very valid point. Because again, I see people that, you know, have, they want to launch a startup or they want to do whatever, but they might not be as tight on costs as I think they should be. And it's just, but it, it's kind of, it's learning your craft. And, you know, so I think that's actually a very good, simple, but very good one, uh, which, you know, is applicable to every business, every size, doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think um, you know, I, I don't know what the latest stat is in terms of businesses that fell within the first couple of years. Um, my view on that has always been, I mean, right, in, in the period from 99 to, to, to date, our business failed on two or three occasions, but I found a way to revive it. That makes sense. The first two yeah. years were really rocky. It would have been very easy just to call it a day and um, uh, you know, not find a way to get an overdraft or not find a way to um, find a loan or whatever it may be, just to just to keep the thing moving. So, so in me, it was the um, n number one the uh, remove all the obstacles trait but equally if the financial management um, knowledge hadn't also kicked in it wouldn't have made any difference I can remove all the obstacles in the world but if I can't get the finances under control eventually it will still go wrong no I think it's, it's, it's fine um, so I always again offer to people um, is there anything you want to plug is there anything you've got going on like is the season going to pick up again you know that kind of thing um so i'm on the positive side i i really hope if i'm looking at where we are today that the best case scenario is probably october um but it really obviously is very very reliant on what happens this next sort of 12 to 14 weeks and that's for the bbl games that's for the men's bbl games and the women's wbbl games mm -hmm. We also run a run a women's team in the in the top league, uh, both at our, at our venues. So uh, on on the note of the two clubs, we we need support. We absolutely need support. The easiest way uh, I would say to do that next season is um, come and join us in hospitality. You can buy one seat. You can buy a table of ten. You can come once. You can come to all the home games. Um, it's flexible, you know, but I think that's the easiest way and it's the best way we've found up to now to engage new business to come and see what we're all about on a match night. So 
because I, I completely agree with that, that when one of the big things I see with a lot of corporate events is that I think either the company that's hosting people tries too hard and actually it's a bit awkward. Often if you get, uh, you know, so a black tie dinner, there's nothing wrong with them. But if you're brutally honest, not everyone wants to be there. It's a bit stuffy. And actually just a lot of the Eagles games, it's a good night out, nothing too smart, a couple of beers. And it's just, it's a nice relaxed night. And I remember the first kind of Eagles game that I took my parents to and my wife and they never watch basketball, but they had a good time. And that's the important thing. And again, one of the things that I love about the Eagles games, it's, it's the links that are quite clever, both with local businesses, like this thing called Chuck a Duck, which basically, yeah. is it a pound? Um, yeah. And then you, anyway, it's, it's for the kids, but it's really kind of good fun. And it's just, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Uh, and then there's also a separate thing, which is called the Mexican hat dance, which is for Zapatista burrito yeah. bar. But it's, it's clever branding that if I owns Zapatista burrito bar, it makes perfect sense. But it's, it's, it's all very nicely done. My point is it's a good night out and I think it's very reasonably priced. And I think you should, you know, if you ever want to host anyone, do it and I'll kind of set you up with tickets and stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, so and I would just say equally, um, from a from a CSR point of view, the, the the great work that the foundation is doing in the community. There's we are we have ways to to um, deliver opportunities that mix both match night and CSR, uh, and it's all right the way through the piece. It's all very uh, very family based. Very, um, it's about you know it's about youth and it's about opportunity. Cool. Well, I appreciate it is what time at night. So it's 20 to seven. So it's getting on a little bit, but no, it's been lovely to kind of catch up. I haven't seen you for probably four months just being locked indoors. Um, but you know, great to catch up. I'm, I am a big fan of the Eagles and the arena and say hi to Sam for me. And you know, I, I love what you do. I love what you do at schools and the community. I love watching the games. I love playing the games. Um, and it's just, you know, long may it continue and uh, stay in touch. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. No worries. Cheers, Paul. Thank you.